Welcome to the Daily Devotion. My name is Kevin. I'm the pastor of Christ Church Conway, a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America here in Conway, Arkansas. The Daily Devotion is a time for us to be strengthened in our faith through the study of Scripture and theology. It's Sermon Sunday, so today we're uploading the sermon that was preached this morning at Christ Church Conway. It's on Mark chapter 4, verses 10 through 12, the purpose of parables. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Father, as we come to your word once again, we ask that you would strengthen us, that we might understand your word. Father, would you give your spirit that I may speak in his power, that your word indeed may go out and have the effect for which you send it. We ask this in Christ's most precious name. Amen. Well, this is somewhat of a difficult passage for a couple of different reasons. First of all, it's difficult because when we just read it, it's a little bit cryptic for us because all of a sudden we're in the middle of these parables and then all of a sudden Jesus is quoting from some section in Isaiah that somehow is supposed to explain why it is that he's teaching in parables and even what some of these parables are about. That's one reason it's difficult is we probably don't have quite as clear of a grasp on Isaiah as they would have when Jesus announced this to them. On the other hand, it's difficult because it's also just hard to accept exactly what is being said here. It presents God as sovereign in a way that that even we who rejoice at His sovereignty find difficult to accept, find find difficult to hear. And, And it presents Him as sovereign in a way that is similar to what we see in John chapter 6. It it presents him as as sovereign even over our salvation, as sovereign over who is in and who is out, as sovereign over the means as (coughs) as well as the ends of the process. In John chapter 6, there's this story where Jesus is talking and, and he's sharing that he's the bread of life and all of these things. And people come and say, this is a hard teaching. Who can understand it? Who can accept it? And, and Jesus announces that, yeah, you're right. No one can accept this unless the Father draws you to me. That's the only way this works. You can't come on your own. You, 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 that's just not how the gospel works. You don't gather yourself up and, and bring yourself to me. It requires God's grace. And at that point, it says that many people, unable to accept this teaching, left. And he looked at his disciples and said, are you not going to leave? And their response was the right one. No, because you have the words of eternal life. See, this reality of God's sovereignty over the entirety of the process has always been difficult for religious types with too high opinions 
of themselves to accept. This is the kind of counterintuitive bit of what's going on in this passage. The kingdom doesn't work the way we think it does. It doesn't work the way we think it should. And and, and, in brief, what Jesus is saying here is, I'm giving people what they need, not what they want. That's kind of the, if we were to summarize why, what Jesus is saying in this passage by going back to Isaiah, that's what it is. Why do you preach in parables, Jesus? Well, I'm giving people what they need, not what they want. And that has a number of implications for us to think through. This is the difficulty. We think that we are really good at assessing what we need. We think we're really good at, at assessing our, our faith or our faithfulness or, or our fruit or, or our understanding. But then we hear a simple story from Jesus and all of a sudden we identify, as in the parable of the sower perhaps, with all the wrong types of soil. And we have to go, wait a minute. What exactly is going on? What, what have I missed here? See, that's what's, what Jesus is, is helping us do. But too often, when we do identify with those wrong types of soils, our response isn't to repent and turn to Christ, but it's like those that were hearing Jesus. And we just say, well, whatever, or, or how dare he say something like that, or, or we come up with something else ridiculous. Or at times, we hear some clear directive from Christ or from Scripture, and our response is the same. That's why we need to think through exactly what it is that Jesus is saying here and why he goes back to Isaiah. Because there's too much parallel, it seems, with us and these Israelites. So as we look at this passage, first of all, we see that Jesus is alone with the twelve and and some other people that were faithful disciples, and they ask him about the parables. And Jesus responds by setting up this contrast. He contrasts two groups of people, those to whom the secret of the kingdom has been given and those who are outsiders. And this is a contrast that has been running through the book of Mark. Who is on the inside of the kingdom? Who who are the insiders with Jesus? And who's on the outside? And here Jesus dives full on into that and establishes these two groups of people. To you has been given the secret of the kingdom. That's the first group. They've been given the secret or, or, or the mystery of the kingdom. What exactly is that? What is the, the, the secret of the kingdom? What is this mystery that they have been given? Well, a mystery, as it's used here, is something not that you have to go and figure out like Sherlock Holmes style or Perry Mason or whoever. A mystery here is something that formerly was not revealed, but now has been made known. In short, the mystery is Jesus. He is the mystery. We see this if we flip over to the book of Colossians and look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. We read this. 
For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We see the same thing in 1 Timothy chapter 3. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. To you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. He looks at his disciples and says, this is the end group. Those who have been given Jesus. That's, that's you. You're one group. You've been given Jesus. But, but notice, it's all passive. To you has been given. It's passive in the Greek as well. And, and, and the reason is because we, we don't gain this knowledge through our own regular means of knowing. We don't come to know Jesus in the same way that we come to know English or history or math or physics or, or whatever we might set out, set out to study. We come to know Jesus only through the revelation of him to us by God. God must give us this knowledge. God must make the mystery known to us. See, the mystery being made known, the mystery of Christ being made known, wasn't just Jesus coming. That was part of it. With the coming of Christ, the mystery was revealed. This secret kept for many ages, as the other places in the New Testament talk about, had been made known. Here was the promised Messiah. Here was the suffering servant. Here was the true Adam, the true Abraham, the true Moses, the true David. Here's the one who would bring us out of exile. He had been made known. But, but, for him to be made known to us personally, requires God's action just as much as him being made known generally. We're entirely passive in this. This is why we say it's all of grace. We're not insiders for any other reason than God has opened our eyes and opened our ears and opened our hearts and opened our minds to the gospel of Jesus Christ. To you, Passive has been given the mysteries. This should work. Humility in spades in us. We didn't figure it out. God opened our eyes to see. In his grace, we have been brought in to the kingdom of God. But, he says, turning to the other group, for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. 
outside what? Well, still outside the kingdom. Strangers to the commonwealth of Israel, to use Paul's language. But this is an interesting statement here, isn't it? If it really is those outside or outside the kingdom, and we think about the context of of who has been rejecting Christ, it wasn't the Gentiles, it was the Jews. Jesus is saying those are the ones who are outside the kingdom of God. Those who see themselves as the very people of God, as the ones who who make up the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying, no, those that don't get me, regardless of, of who or what they think about themselves, they're on the outside. These are the bad soils, those not hearing, those not accepting Jesus as who he claims to be. To those on the outside, Jesus says, everything is in parables. And then he quotes this passage from Isaiah. They're in parables to this effect, that they may indeed see but not perceive, indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. When we read this passage back in the context of Isaiah, it's, it's helpful to understand what Jesus is doing here. If you go back and read Isaiah chapters 1 through 5, we read chapter 6 this morning as our scriptural reading. If you go back and read Isaiah 1 through 5, it's this horribly intense announcement of judgment on Judah on Jerusalem, on the people of God. And all of these woes are announced. Woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. It's basically this long statement of judgment on Judah for their faithlessness. Rick Watts, uh, he's actually a New Testament commentator, but on this passage he says, they apparently are convinced that intensification of religious observance will deliver them from their wounds and desolation. But Yahweh instead requires justice. See, that's the problem. They thought, we can, no, we can do this. But they were missing the very thing that Yahweh was asking them for. And so all of their confidence and their observances and, and their practices and, and, and who they were and, and all of these things, all of their confidences meant nothing. And then we come to Isaiah chapter 6 where Isaiah is commissioned or, or called and he's given this message. They, they, they're to hear but not hear. They're to see, but, but not really. He's, he's saying, look, keep doing what you're doing, and, and it's not going to work out well. Again, Dr. Watts says in some Isaiah 6, 9 through 13, is Yahweh's judicial response through this prophetic proclamation to an idolatrous Judah whose protest of faithfulness are laid bare by their leader's rejection of Yahweh's instruction. See, that was the problem that they were facing in this time. Is they were announcing, no, we are faithful. 
We're doing what we're supposed to do. We're following our leaders. We're doing all the things. But what they were missing was that their leaders had rejected Yahweh and were leading them wildly astray. And what Isaiah was sent to do was to give the response of Yahweh to their sin. They essentially thought they had it made, but they were rejecting God's word. Therefore, God sent Isaiah to keep proclaiming God's word and to warn them of their deafness. Isaiah 6, 9 through 10, these passages are frequently quoted in the New Testament six different times, three of them in the tellings of the parable of the sower. And then in Acts 28, Paul brings these passages into his discussion with the Jews in Rome to make the very same point. He says, the reason I'm here is because the Jews keep hearing but don't understand. He makes a similar point in his conversation in Romans 11 about the Jews and the remnant in that wonderful chapter on election and all of that. And then in John chapter 12, verse 40, Jesus again quotes this passage in a very telling way. This is what he says. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Once again, Jesus is making this point about the Jewish people, about his people and their unbelief and their refusal to see him as the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises, to see him as the promised Messiah. And he frames it in John 12 in terms of their fearing man rather than God. When we go back to the three bad soils, is this not in some form or another what we find in each one of them? Satan snatches some away. Others are scared of the tribulation. Others love the things of the world. All of these are different manifestations of the fear of man and the fear of of the judgment of this world rather than fearing God. This is the point that Mark is recording Jesus make here when he quotes these passages. Think about what has preceded this in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus has done all of these grand things. He has healed people. He has taught with authority. He has done all of these things, casting out demons, and been rejected by the religious establishment again and again and again. Even to the point that they finally say, you're doing all of this by the power of Satan. 
You're no son of God. You're no Messiah. You're nothing more than someone possessed like a demon with the power of Satan. That is how you are working. His teachings, his miracles, all of this to this point by and large among the Jews has been met with challenges, rejection, and accusation of demon possession. They thought they were getting it right. Just like the Israelites in Isaiah, they thought they were the ones being faithful. They were following the rules. They were doing what their leaders told them. But just like in Isaiah, their leaders were leading them astray because they were not leading them to the promised and now arrived Messiah. So Jesus picks up that language and and offers this indictment of the religiously arrogant who refuse what they need because they think they know. And really all they're doing is trying to secure what they want. They've missed the Savior standing right before them. And so what Jesus is saying as we come to this and and, and wrestle with why is He teaching in parables? That's the question, really. He, he gives the meaning of the parable, but when we look at the accounts of this scene in Matthew and Luke, we see the question that they're asking is, is why are you speaking in parables? And Jesus' point here is not so much that He's trying to make it hard to understand Him, but that He's going to, to embark on a teaching ministry like that of Isaiah's wherein the people would be warned repeatedly. So these parables are told and and repeated as warnings, and, and the warnings get stronger and stronger and stronger as you go through Jesus' ministry. He begins with these parables of of the kingdom and and he moves to parables of grace and and then all the closing parables at the end of his ministry after he's not been listened to for all this time they're all of these parables of judgment see jesus ministry what he's telling us here his ministry is going to follow isaiah's ministry it's going to follow the same pattern of announcing repeatedly this clear message he's not trying to to shroud it in mystery necessarily but he's giving them what they need and they're refusing it his point is if you want to be an insider rather than an outsider, if you want to be what you think you actually are, the only way is through me. There is no other way into the kingdom. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's Jesus' point again and again. The kingdom doesn't work the way you think the kingdom works. The kingdom's not about us 
pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps and us being good religious people and, and, and following all the rules and so being welcomed in as some naturalized citizen who has passed the test and set through the classes and, and answered all the questions correctly and sworn our fidelity. No, the kingdom is about coming to Jesus and resting in Him. And that's what He was going to announce. That's what he's telling us here. I'm going to keep saying this, and they're going to keep not hearing it. I'm going to keep doing these things before them, and they're going to keep not seeing them. And if they did, if they would hear me, if they would look to me, they would turn, and they too would be healed. See, Jesus isn't Casting anyone to hell at this point. If they would turn, they would be healed. But they're not going to. Because they've already seen me. I've already announced the message. And they're not listening. They want me to say something different. But I'm not going to. I'm going to keep telling these stories of what the kingdom is really like. I'm going to keep talking about grace. I'm going to keep telling them that it doesn't work the way they think it works. That that something different is going on than what they're trying to bring about. I'm going to keep saying that. And they're going to keep not listening. Because that wasn't what they wanted. So this raises a question for us. Is Jesus who we want? Because that's what he's offering. He's not offering religiosity. He's not offering morality in the sense of, of, oh, we're all going to be these great good people. We will be sanctified. Don't, Don't hear me wrong. But ultimately what he's offering is himself because that's what we need. It's not necessarily what we want. Even those of us like, like me who hate the rules and, 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 and like to, to make sure that people know we don't like the rules and, and, and come up with signs to show that, right? Even we, we don't like the what we want is just, just tell me how to be good. Just tell me how to make it work. But what we get is Jesus. What we get is a Savior who said, no, that's not what it's about. Yes, you will follow me. And, and there will be good works. But you've got to come to me for that reality. Because I'm what's being offered. And I'm going to keep telling these parables. And I'm going to keep telling this story. And I'm going to keep doing the things I've been sent to do. And I'm going to keep talking about the kingdom. And I'm going to to keep. And if you keep not hearing, you will find yourself on the outside. But if you would listen, you will hear the call of your Savior. Saying, come, come 
you who are heavy laden. I'll take your burden. Come, you who are thirsty, and drink without price. Come, you who are sinful, and be forgiven. See, when we hear the call of Christ, we hear him calling people in need. And that's what he's telling us he's going to keep doing. is calling the lost, seeking the lost, finding the lost, finding the broken, announcing grace, announcing favor, announcing mercy. But too often what we're looking for is recognition. And that's not what Jesus offers. What he offers is better. What he offers in all of these parables is the Spirit of God making bad soil good through the hearing of his word. What he offers is the mystery of the word blooming up in us. What he offers is is the one who, who gave up his kingdom to come and find this pearl. What he offers is himself. Would we, would we receive him? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus giving us himself and coming and and, and making himself known and, and not relenting from that. So often, Father, we want something else. We want him to give us some set of rules or something, but you've sent him to give us himself. And so by your spirit, may we look to him in faith and find life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.